It is Tuesday, August 16th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the 15th installment of our Team Insider Series. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And joining us tonight is the guy who covers the Vikings for The Athletic. He's been covering the team for more than 10 years now. Arif Hassan, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. What are the biggest differences that you have seen so far with the Kevin O'Connell offense for these Vikings versus the previous regime? Yeah, I think a lot of it is just, um, you know, putting more receivers on the field a lot more often. You know, it's a it's a three receiver league typically. And and the Vikings were you know well behind that. I think, um, what was it in 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 2019 or 2020? They were dead last in the league in uh, in in three receiver usage. And then uh, a year after 2021, they improved substantially. I, I don't know if improved is the right word, but they they increased their three receiver usage substantially and were still dead last in the league. Uh, and so um, kind of seeing them put more receivers on the field, especially with the talent that they have has been pretty obvious. And they, and they really want to use those receivers in pretty interesting ways, you know, jet sweeps, stuff like that. We've been seeing a lot of that around the league, but also, you know, bunch formations, stack receiver formations, uh, you know, finding ways to, to enable them out of the backfield or in the wing. Um, just, you know, making sure that kind of the talent that you expect to, you know, win downfield, you can use to contest every blade of grass it seems to be kind of a, an element of the offense. And, I don't know. It seems to pass deep a little bit more often than the, than the, than the previous iteration of the Vikings offense. And that one I think was kind of underrated actually for how often it, it, it went deep, but this one, it seems like it, it seems to be more aggressive in that regard. Was last year's improvement just because Mike Zimmer was like, crap, I'm out of tight ends. Throw another one of those stupid <laughs> receivers out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's part of it, uh, but I think also the improvement that they got from KJ Osborne kind of mm-hmm. demanded that he see the field a little bit more often. Um, and I and I stress a little bit more often, right? Because again, dead last, right? But but I mean, he he was a substantially better receiver than uh, than whoever the Vikings' third receiver was last year. Whether you know that week was like Tajay Sharp or you know BC Johnson or or whoever, you know KJ Osborne's jump from year one to year two was extraordinary, and, and the Vikings kind of respected that, found ways to put him on the field. So um, that was part of it. But also, you know, the Irv Smith injury meant that they didn't have many two tight end option sets. The fact that they traded a fourth round pick for Christopher Herndon didn't really you know, I mean, Herndon just was a non-entity in a lot of ways. I mean, the guy they picked up off of waivers the same day, Ben Ellison, um, I believe got more receiving yards and certainly got substantially more snaps than than Herndon did. So um, the, the tight end talent wasn't there. I think that that's big, uh, but also the receiver talent was. Have you seen you KJ the, uh, continue to improve this year? Sorry. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's kind of one of the storylines that I like to follow is, you know, I, I wouldn't say that his improvement from year one to year two is the same as the improvement from year two to year three. The year one, year two improvement was extraordinary. He didn't take a single snap on offense his rookie year, right? And I, and I think that based off of what he was doing in camp and in practices, that was fair. Um, and here he is already pulling in, what was it, like 700 yards or something, you know, pretty, uh, you know, impressive like that last year. I don't think that, you know, he's going to double that or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I think that his improvement year two to year three is substantial, more than most receivers have seen you know, take that jump. But um, yeah, I, I really like what he's doing. And honestly, I think that, you know, if you're the, you're the kind of person that likes these log shot odds, you know, there is a chance. I wouldn't say it's likely, but I think it's notable 
that there is a chance he could outproduce Adam Thielen. I don't know. Um, at least from a yardage perspective. From a touchdown perspective, I don't know that Thielen's touchable. But from a yardage perspective, I, I think it's on the table. I'll say that. You you mentioned the jet sweep stuff with the wide receivers. Is that primarily going to be Justin Jefferson getting those? Yeah, I think it's primarily Justin Jefferson. Uh, you know, if they decide to go four receiver, you'll probably see Amir Smith-Marset. He did that a little bit. Uh, at Iowa, he might be kind of the fastest uh, true receiver on the roster. I say true receiver because they do have a track guy on the roster who only plays special teams. But, um, you know, the guy won like the Big Ten 4x400 indoor relay or something like He's a pretty fast guy. Uh, but, yeah, he's not a receiver. So I guess I'm not going to count him. Uh, but Is that Kenny Wangwu or somebody else? No, no, no. It's, uh, it's Dan Chisena. Uh Penn okay. State guy did like track for a year. Uh, decided he loved football, football more, so he just walked on at Penn State, which by itself was like pretty impressive to just decide <laughs> to walk on at Penn State. Mm-hmm. But um, no, he's funny. Um, is is improved pretty substantially as a receiver, but that's just not, I think, in the cards for him. But Amir Smith Marset is the guy that the the jet sweep guy that you might see, um, kind of like a Jericho Cotre role, kind of late in his career, where you know he's on the field and you're like, yeah, there's like a twenty percent chance he gets handed the ball <laughs> instead of throwing the ball, right? Um, I, I could see that for Amir Smith Marset. I mean, he's good downfield. He's improved as a route runner, but um, primarily, you know, in three receiver sets, two receiver sets, it's going to be uh, uh, Justin Jefferson. I've seen occasional you know, uses of Adam Thielen and KJ Osborne. And, you know, before he got hurt, Irv Smith, which he did a little bit at Alabama, despite all the receiver talent they had. Um, so they're not going to only focus on that. But it, it, it's clear that in a way that, you know, even though Justin Jefferson, like, led, you know, the team in targets by an enormous margin, I think, what was he, fourth in the NFL in targets last year, third, something like that, even though he was clearly a really highly targeted receiver in a passing offense that, you know, wasn't the most, you know, pass happy in the league. I know that we're, we're probably going to talk about passing frequency in a bit, um, but, you know, it's not, it's not an offense known for passing a lot. You know, they, they did target him a lot, but I don't know that they decided to design an offense around what he could do in the same way the Rams designed their offense around Cooper Cup, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that what they're doing here now is something similar. They, they realize they have an elite talent in Justin Jefferson, and instead of letting that talent kind of emerge naturally from a standard offense, right? You know, a standard offense, your best receiver is going to get the ball most often, obviously. They're going to try and feature him a little bit more often and try to make sure that he gets the ball in his hands as often as possible, at least from my perspective, watching these practices. Yeah, that, that's a good point because, I mean, a big reason Jefferson finished so high in targets last year was because Adam Thielen missed those final five or six games because before mm-hmm. Thielen went down, they were actually pretty close. Thielen and Jefferson yeah. were in total targets. So it sounds like, you know, we should expect that that gap to definitely widen this season. Yeah, I, I would expect so. It, it certainly seems like, you know, the offense is Justin Jefferson's until further notice. I love the point of saying that the range of outcomes on Osborne, though, includes outperforming Adam Thielen. It's, it seems like whenever you put something like that on Twitter, people are like, this guy's an idiot. He says KJ Osborne's <laughs> better than Adam Thielen. It's like, no. It's possible. Maybe it could happen. Yeah, I got to. I got to be careful. Yeah, yeah. And well, th- this is why I like coming on to fantasy shows, right? Because um, a lot of you guys can think probabilistically, right? That where, where, where it's like, hey, I'm in a best ball league. You know, I've got a decision to to you know jump on upside late in the draft. Oh, I'll take a shot on KJ Osborne because I know that his range of outcomes is a little bit wider. Maybe he'll get 100 yards in a game here or there. Whereas you know, in in a lot of other you know discussions. You know, I have to be so precise in the way that I talk about these things, because otherwise then it gets blown up on Twitter and it shows up on like pro football talk or whatever. It's like, that's not really what I meant. I, I 
I really respect what Adam Thielen is and, and what he's done as a receiver. Um, but I, I just think that we should at least have it on our radar, right? That that's, you know, in the cards. Got it. Adam Thielen's washed up and KJ Osborne's been around. Got me. Got it. Got it. <laughs> world. Yeah. So <laughs> you alluded to it, the pass rate. The Vikings were mid-pack last year. They ranked 15th in pass rate. They were 18th in situation neutral pass rate last year. Do you think that we're going to get an increase from there? Is this team going to be more pass leaning than last year's? Yeah, I think if you take a look at the Rams ranks, and I don't know kind of what you use. I use uh, Ben Baldwin's RB's don't matter website for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the Rams last year ranked sixth in or, or around sixth in those categories in neutral pass rate or pass rate over expected. Um, and especially when you like exclude like the final 5% of garbage time, um, which for the Vikings, there was like no garbage time last year, which I think actually plays <laughs> yeah. a role in how often they threw the ball. Um, the, I, I think that uh, you'll, you'll see a bump. I don't think you'll see it go to kind of the extent of the Rams. I mean, I love Cam Akers, but I mean, Davlin Cook, I think, is just a superior running back. Um, and you've got Matthew Stafford. So, like, why not just kind of air it out a little bit more? Um, so, I, I don't think that you'll hit kind of the same, but I think it will, you know, increase dramatically. And I think it was the highest pass rate for the Vikings um, since, you know, DeFilippo was coordinating the offense, you know, way back in 2018, I want to say, when they threw it like 600 times and Zimmer got angry about that fact. Um, I, that doesn't seem to be, you know, in, in kind of the, the range of consequences here. I think that they're going to be happy to throw the ball a little bit more in neutral situations. If we even saw it in the preseason, like second and 10, very often a Zimmer led defense would just, you know, run the ball. It's like, well, second and 10, usually that's product of, you know, first and 10, you, you threw an incompletion. Well, we threw the ball, so we might as well run it now. Um, and, you know, with the Rams, it, it was very clear. It's like, well, you know, I think our best chance of converting is going to be a pass. So that's obviously what we're going to do. Um, we, we saw that a little bit in the preseason that they're willing to throw the ball in those situations. And I just think that generally speaking, I've seen a little bit more focus on the passing game in camp. Um, I've seen kind of a discussion the way that O'Connell talks about these things where, where the passing game takes priority. So I think that we're going to see an increase in pass rate. And of course you always have to adjust your expectation based off of, you know, expected game script and whether or not you think the Vikings will be ahead or behind in a particular game and whether or not they're going to throw more because of it. But, um, just kind of in a neutral situation, I think that they're going to pass a lot more than they did last time. Can't hurt that the new coach used to be a quarterback, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, who's 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 going to, you know, have his ear when in a critical situation, right? So, yeah, I, I think that that's certainly, you know, going to help play a role. I mean, McVay, quarterback, right? So, yeah. So how do you expect Delvin Cook to be utilized in this offense, you know, both in terms of how the Vikings are going to look to get him the ball and then in terms of just his, his overall volume compared to, you know, where it's been the past few years? Yeah, you know, I mentioned that Cam Akers is not a super great comp for Dalvin Cook in a couple of ways, but Todd Gurley at his peak is, right? And and I think that they have a lot of similar skill sets. And I think you take a look at the usage that Todd Gurley had in, I don't want to say 2017, 2018. Um, I don't think he ever got more than 280 carries. I mean, some of that's like injury related. I don't think he played a 16 game season, but he never got more than 280 carries. And then Dalvin Cook peaked uh, 310, 315 carries um, last year or two years ago. Um, and, and I think that his carries total will go down, but I think that his targets will go up because there were in those two seasons for Gurley, we saw 80 plus targets, I think, uh, almost 90 in, in one of those years. Right. Um, and for Davin cook, I don't think he ever got more than 65. Right. So he, he's like receptions per game, never crossed four. Right. Whereas Gurley, 
um, beat four and a half, I, th I think, twice. So, you know, you've got, I, I think you're, you're going to lose the number of carries per game, which, you know, drops from like 22, 20 to like 18, um, and increase the number of receptions per game for Devin Cook. So uh, obviously kind of depends on the way leagues are structured, right, for, for that to be meaningful to some people and not to others. But um, I think his touches will come in a different way. Not, you know, Christian McCaffrey type stuff, but, but you know, on the other end of the spectrum, definitely not Nick Chubb type stuff. I think we're going to see him, you know, catch the ball a little bit more often, take advantage of his running skills and so on. So um, they, they're going to want him to be a big part of the offense. But, you know, the last Vikings offense featured him, if they featured anybody, featured him, right? And this Vikings offense is going to have him, right? And they're going to have a really high-level talent at running back that they really like a lot. They're going to use that a lot, but they're not going to feature him in the same way. And as we talked about on previous shows, you know, fewer carries and more catches can help keep a running back healthier. So yeah, that could be a mark in favor of Cook, too, if this yeah, role so, yeah. changing that way. Um, real quick, be, behind Dalvin Cook, is Alex Madison locked in as this number two? I thought Kenny Nguangwu and uh, Ty Chandler both looked good in that first preseason pre game. I've heard some you know, whispers today that Madison might not be a lock for number two duties. How do you how do you see that situation playing out? You know, I, I think if you had asked me after the game, I'd say, yeah, we got to talk about that. That's on the table. But, you know, a couple of days removed from the game, I think. <laughs> yeah, probably not. I mean, there's a reason they pulled Madison out as early as they did, right? Um, and I think it's because he's got the number two job down. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry I keep going back to the Rams, but it's my best point of reference. But if you remember the 2018 Super Bowl run, they they lost um, Todd Gurley partway through, and it was a C.J. Anderson came in. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and his production was good, right? His production was almost identical to Gurley, which I, at least on a per carry rate, right? But the way that he produced didn't help the Rams offense as much. You know, he could only do, um, I want to say it was inside zone, whereas Todd Gurley could do everything, right? And so the way the Patriots stopped him is, you know, they were like, well, you know, CJ Anderson's on the field. So we're just going to put Danny Shelton in there. He's going to stop any inside zone run, period. Right. And, and they shut down the run game and they made it more difficult for the Rams to execute play action with the way that the runs were looking because they couldn't execute some of their run looks. Right. And so on a yards per carry basis. Right. It looked very similar. But in terms of how the offense operated and executed, it didn't. Right. And we saw a decrease in, in the Rams offensive production when Todd Gurley was out, which runs kind of counter to a lot of the discussions that we have about running backs in the NFL. I think something similar is is on the table for. Alexander Madison, right, is that he can do all the things that Dalvin Cook can do, and so they don't want to trade him away for Kenny Wangu and, um, and Tyson Chandler to take over that role because they can't do everything that Dalvin Cook can do. Um, you know, I, I think we saw Wangu had a goal line run in the preseason game. Well, I hope in the regular season that never happens. It's not who he <laughs> is, right? Um, and we also saw what happened. I mean, he got stopped, right? And I think that the same thing would probably happen to Ty Chandler. And if it doesn't, I'd, I'd be happy to be wrong. It'd be very exciting to have a back like that be found in the fifth round. But um, I, I think that they really like Alexander Madison's capability to uh, be an all-around back, you know, read you know, read what he needs to read. Maybe he's not going to rip off a 40-yard touchdown or anything like that, um, but he's going to get you the eight yards that you've been blocked for. And, uh, and that's not something you can always count on someone like Wangu or Chandler. Plus, you know, there's the pass protection, you know, aspect of it too. Whereas, you know, Madison is not, you know, the world's best pass protector when it comes to reading his assignments, but as soon as he gets his assignment, correct, he's probably the best pass protector on the team. It's just a matter of making sure that, that he's kind of set where, where he needs to be. And I think that that's a huge advantage that he has over both Chandler and Wangu. So Irv Smith, uh, thumb surgery in early August. The, the Vikings said at that point they expected him back for week one. Is that still kind of how they're thinking? And then, you know, once Irv Smith is healthy, how, how big a role do you expect him to have in this passing game? 
Yeah, I mean that one's tough, right? Because we don't have like a, a game situation to match for him um, in in with, with this Vikings team. Uh, the last time we got an update, they said he was on schedule. Everything's great, you know. It's 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 how coaches talk. So I don't know, you know, whether or not I should take you know too much uh, stock in it. But it, it doesn't sound like there's been a setback or anything like that. So um, I, I would say probably target a week one. Certainly he'd be available uh, by week three at least. By the way, they're talking about it, but. You know, I think week two is a strong certainty, if not actually just week one. Um, the way that O'Connell talks about Irv Smith, it, it very much seems like, and he never says this outright because he never wants to be disrespectful, but it very much seems like he thought that Irv Smith was misused uh, in, in the Zimmer offense, which we can't, uh, you know, know super well because he missed, you know, an entire year where, where he probably should have been a, a breakout candidate. But, you know, before that, you know, he wasn't really used in a way that complements his physical skill set, right? Because he's a, a smaller tight end. I think he's 6'2", and he's really fast in a straight line, right? And you didn't really see him challenging the seams or running upfield or, or trying to match up with linebackers um, deep downfield. You saw him kind of used as a traditional tight end, maybe not used in the red zone as often as I'm like Kyle Rudolph, but, you know, used in kind of those underneath areas where he's fine, but it certainly seems like, you know, you spend a second-round pick on the particular physical talents that he has, to use him in a way that's a bit more dynamic than that. Um, he turned out to be a much better blocker than the Vikings anticipated. So that's nice. There's another usage they're getting out of him. But I think that, you know, as the offense develops with Irv Smith in mind, they're going to want him to play kind of a Jordan Reed, Vernon Davis type role where, yeah, you'll mix it up and, and you'll, you'll get the line of scrimmage. If you see a run look that you like, you've got a tight end out there that you feel comfortable running behind so you can choose to block. But, um, You've got a linebacker matchup that you like. You know that you know they they've brought out their their third linebacker because it looks like you're going to run the ball, um, and and you run right at them. You you stretch the seam. You make them see if they want to play Tampa two and cover that linebacker, or you make them seem like uh, you know in in cover four you're going to have a deep shot to uh, uh, to hold one safety and open up another post. I think that they want him to challenge deep, and I think that we're going to see a little bit more production from him deep downfield. Um, should he, you know, consistently stay healthy and learn the offense? Do they have him out there with the jugs machine and one arm tied behind his back so he can just work? <laughs> it doesn't hurt that yeah. using one thumb. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite yet, but I'm sure he's thought of it. <laughs> so. that's, that's what I'd be doing, even just to troll the the observers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we got the offense out of the way for Jared's sake, but now it's time to talk a little bit of defense before we let you loose. Mm -hmm. And I know that Jordan Hicks has missed a little bit of time. New linebacker came over from Arizona this offseason. When he's healthy, should we expect Jordan Hicks to be a three-down player for this defense? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, the only thing kind of holding him back from significant playing time, like 1,000 snaps, I think is the fact that they've got three capable safeties, right? And then they might want to go into dime as a result of it. Um, you know, they drafted Lewis Seen in the first round. Cameron Bynum was a starting quality safety last year as a rookie, a fourth or fifth round rookie. Um, that when Xavier Woods went down, they they put they you know Zimmer put Cameron Bynum in as starter next to Harrison Smith. They liked him so much, they were like, well. Xavier Woods is back, so let's just put three safeties on the field. And then Xavier Woods leaves, and they draft a first-round safety. So it very much seems like they might do some of the dime stuff that the Packers did. Remember, they brought in Mike Pettin from the Packers as an assistant head coach, so he's probably advising on that defense. And that likely means that they're going to try and figure out ways to put three safeties on the field in dime packages. I saw, um, I saw a package where uh, they had one defensive lineman on the field, 
and uh, one off ball linebackers and uh, you know, the two edge rushers. And they had like, you know, they had, they had three safeties and three cornerbacks out there. I mean, it was just like a very interesting way to set up a defense. And it's because they really like what Lewisine can do, what Cameron Vinan can do. And of course what Harrison Smith can do. So that's the only thing I think that would hold back Jordan Hicks, but that sounds situational and, and kind of matchup related and, um, it might be just kind of a, a a way to add flavor to the defense. I think primarily speaking, Jordan Hicks is going to be around um, so as long as he's able to. I mean, he's been having a really remarkable camp performance. I think you know, it's really difficult to evaluate linebackers in camp just because of the the nature of, of training camp. It's the same mm-hmm. thing with running backs. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I think that in coverage, he's done a really good job. He's taking advantage of his size, you know, relative to other linebackers. He still seems to have the athleticism that made him such a high draft prospect at Texas. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that. You know, he's he's really impressed because I, I, I thought, you know, hey, since he's played like he was great with the Eagles, with the Cardinals, he was fine. He was whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was like, yeah, hey, it's probably he's probably done. Right. Like, not like done in terms of like not being started quality, but rather, yeah, I don't think there's going to be anything more exciting mm-hmm. to extract from from that contract. And instead, I mean, he's, he's really impressed me a lot. So. Um, certainly, you know, he's going to be able to fight for having a ton of snaps on the field. Mm-hmm. And of course, the reason you get limited views of linebackers and running backs is because with the limited tackling, the position that relies most on hitting people is limited. And, you know, running backs, the way that they show off is running through tackles. So right. you don't get a whole lot of that. We get to see more of it in preseason games, but, you know, kind of kind of kind of limited what we can get to see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and the, the, like the best thing you can see from a linebacker is. Did he bite on play action or not? And there's only so much information you can glean from that, which Jordan Hicks, by the way, really good at figuring out if it's play action. So keep that in mind. Yeah, I spent a lot of time on the field in passing situations with his first two teams. Now, of course, because you're such a pro, you already transitioned to the remaining question I have. And that is basically, do IDP fantasy players need to keep Cameron Bynum in mind? It sounds like you will already say yes to that. So I guess the larger question is, how much of a chance does Lewis seen have to be a part of this defense? And is Cameron Bynum really the favorite to join Harrison Smith in the lineup right now? Yeah, I'd say Bynum is the favorite right now, um, which, you know, I'm sure it'll be disappointing to Vikings fans at first, right? Because, you know, you draft a first round guy, you want to see him on the field, especially, you know, at a position that typically sees the field right away when you're drafted mm-hmm. early. But um, Bynum has, I think, earned the, the, the starting job scene has not, I don't think that's an indictment of seeing. I think he just kind of needs to develop, develop a little bit more in terms of the way that he sees the game, but Bynum has been more impressive in camp. Uh, Bynum has more experience. Bynum seems to understand the defense just a little bit more right now. Uh, I mean, scene had a remarkable um, intellectual reputation coming out of Georgia. It sounded like he ran that defense. So I'd have no doubt that he'll be uh, kind of Johnny on the spot when it comes to figuring out everything in the playbook and stuff like that. But for right now, Cameron Bynum is, is the expert on the defense and uh, he's had some really good highlights. He's been able to, to, you know, generate pass deflections against Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and KJ Osborne and the, and the whole crew. Um, and, uh, and he's been really smart about filling in in the run game and he doesn't hesitate, which I think is like a really important feature of being good safety. So it sounds like he's going to start right away. And I think kind of down the line based off of how well, you know, he's performed when he's seen the field, um, it might be hard to unseat him. So certainly I think, you know, for an IDP owner, I if you're in a redraft IDP, which if you're in a dynasty IDP, hit me up. That sounds crazy. I'd love to hear about that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but if you're in a if you're in a typical redraft IDP, um, I I'd probably just kind of stay away from Lewis scene for now. You know, kind of keep an eye on him. Uh, you know, reserve a certain amount of your bid. 
for uh, for when when it sounds like he's going to get a bigger role in the defense. But yeah, I, I think that Lewisine is going to eclipse, or I think Cameron Bynum is going to eclipse Lewisine's potential there. That was going to be my last question, but because you just showed some interest in Dynasty IDP, I have to ask you, what's the outlook from here on Kenny Willickus? Because he's a guy that I've been a fan of, <sighs> and he's like, he's in and out of view, and I, I want to know from an insider what, what I should expect going forward. Uh, I mean, I, I think he uh, he entered camp injured, uh, and, and, and we haven't even actually seen him, mostly injured players. Um, you know, we get to see on the sideline, you know, it, it both, uh, both Ryan Connolly and uh, Blake Prohl are on, on the pup and we get to see them working out. Kenny Willekes, I haven't actually seen at all um, in, in the trainer room. And so he's probably going to be on injured reserve for the second consecutive year, which I mean, I, I love these scrappy like sixth, seventh round, especially edge rushers. Um, like I'm right there with you. And Kenny Willekes is definitely one of them. Um, and, and, and he always pops off in the preseason. So it was, it was disappointing to like, you know, see the Vikings update you on what's going on in camp and, and get that, you know, late August notification that, that Kenny Willekes is probably going to be on IR for um, at least the beginning, if not the entirety of the season. But yeah, I mean, I love Willekes, so it really sucks that, you know, especially, I mean, the Vikings really need a fourth or fifth edge rusher. It's just, it's not a position they've got a lot of depth at, so that, um, really sucks. That's the dirty underbelly of Dynasty IDP. Is it gives you a place to stash these guys that you're hoping you're going to break out, but then at some point you have to be like, I don't know, am I just holding on for too long? Is it time to spend yeah, this process right. right on somebody else? Yeah, uh, rough. It's rough. <laughs> well, Arif, that's great stuff. You've given me things that are going to alter my defensive projections after we finish this show. He is a Vikings guy for The Athletic. He's been doing this stuff for 10 years. You can tell by listening to him. Arif Hassan, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. It was fun having you. You can find every episode of the Team Insider series and all other episodes of the podcast on our YouTube channel, on Apple, on Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast. Please, you know, give us a like, give us a subscription, rate, review, whatever you do on the site where you get your stuff. We appreciate it. Help us spread the word. Help us grow this community of viewers and listeners. For our guest, Arif Hassan, for Jared Small and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 